You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Saldana. Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana. And of course, each episode, we bring you industry stories and insights from some of the top minds in digital and supply chain, especially in planning. And I'm very excited today because my guest is Catherine Ross, board director and advisor and former vice president Johnson & Johnson. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Oh, well, thank you very much, Tony, and thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Catherine, you were previously vice president supply chain, and then uh, you also worked previous to that, having run operations for PepsiCo food, and then prior to that, consulting at McKinsey. You've obviously had a brilliant career that spans geographies and companies, 35 years within supply chain. And in many ways, I'd be looking forward to you because you have the ability to you know, connect a lot of dots, geographies, areas within supply chain. But before we go any further, if you don't mind, for our listeners, tell us a little more about how you got to the place where you're at today. So, so I, I'd be happy to, you know, I'm a chemical engineer by training. And as you mentioned, I've had the opportunity through my career to work in a broad number of settings. I've done plan, source, make and deliver within supply chain. I've uh, led uh, teams on three different continents, Asia, the US and, and Europe. I had the opportunity to work in three sectors. So healthcare, food, and consumer. And you mentioned McKinsey and, and PepsiCo and Johnson & Johnson, the three wonderful companies that, were, that really provided tremendous opportunity for development. Throughout my career, I just mostly focused on stretching myself and trying to find new and interesting things to do. I've gotten a short attention span, so I love going to, to new areas and, and trying new things. And, and that just worked for me and, and really helped me uh, kind of continue to learn and one of the things that I tell new managers when they start out their careers is to really focus on your ability to learn. It's a skill. The skill needs to be developed over time, but it lets you move into new situations and rapidly assess them and, and have some degree of success. I got the opportunity to work with some terrific folks on terrific problems. That is fabulous. The combination of the learning mindset is good. You're, of course, very modest. You've been a pioneer, not just fortunate in a lot of the things that you have done. But to stay with that, among the vast amount of experiences, leadership, as well as innovation, what are you really most proud of? You know, so, um, so I retired a couple of years ago from J&J, &J, and that did give me the opportunity to reflect on my long career within major companies. And for me, as I take away from that was that I was most proud of the teams that I led, that the, the thrill of being able to pull together diverse teams with different backgrounds and different skill sets and have that team come together and really achieve more than any of us could have done uh, individually. It was a, a thrill at the time. And looking back at that, it's it's still a thrill. This became blazingly obvious to me when I was in Asia. One of my assignments was based in Singapore to lead J&J's Asia Pacific consumer supply chain. So that was mm -hmm. you know, 13 countries, very different business models, different consumer needs. And my leadership at the team at the time had, it was a leadership team of 14 people. Only three spoke English as a first language. So there were mm -hmm. 10 different nationalities represented. But when we came together as a group, we were able to very successfully address the different supply chain needs across the entire region. And 
and reach consumers and, and customers in, in very effective ways because mm -hmm. we found a very successful ways of, of working with each other. And for me, it was, it was a tremendous developmental opportunity to really appreciate the value of diverse teams and to, to stop and, and listen much more carefully to my team members and mm -hmm. their perspectives. You've talked about diversity in terms of language and, and, and culture. I also want to touch upon gender diversity because as you and I know, our respective professions, IT and supply chain, aren't yet there when it comes to gender diversity. But let's stay with uh, your perspective specific to supply chain. Why do you think that is? So, of, of course, my supply chain era started last century for me, mm -hmm. right? Certainly at the time, it was a very heavily male-dominated function. I think it was it was two years before I was in a business meeting with another woman, and it was 25 years wow. before I actually worked for another woman. It was very heavily male-dominated. Having said that, I look back and I had four or five mentors who really reached out and, and helped me mm -hmm. over that time period to take on new assignments and they really took risks on me and i think that it's a really important contribution that leaders can make towards improving diversity but i think that the challenge for supply chain is that the path to to the top within supply chain has historically been through manufacturing manufacturing is where you get very early developmental experiences mm -hmm. at leading a large uh, number of of people uh, mm -hmm. at a time and that's really important early in your career and Manufacturing has typically been more challenging for women because mm -hmm. there's a preference for technical degrees mm -hmm. and because 24-hour operations can be challenging if you've got a young family. And I think that's something that, that the function recognizes and is working very hard to address in different ways. I think that there's a lot of investment going on right now in, in STEM education within a secondary school focused on, on women and you know other underrepresented um, groups uh, within the supply chain. I have seen the emphasis on, on STEM education, as you mentioned, your insight about career paths, having to go through manufacturing with the obvious disadvantage of night shifts is an insight that I hadn't really thought about. I'm going to ask you a little bit about a passion area that we've had a chance to talk about previously. You are a huge proponent of supply chain resilience, right? Back us up a bit. You were pushing this pre-COVID. Why? Were you on the forefront of this? Why was this such a passion for you? Yeah, so to your point, it's never been more obvious now that it's important. You mm -hmm. look at toilet paper, you look at yeah. containers, you look at, at circuit boards. But my view is that it's the responsibility of the chief supply chain officer to provide to her enterprise, you know, not just a cost-efficient supply chain, but one that's robust. I read a, a study by BCG recently. And they mm -hmm. estimated that performance during a crisis has three times the long-term financial impact as performance during more stable times. And um, from my view, there's no faster way to go from supply chain hero to supply chain zero than to be worse off responding to a disruption than your competitors. Yeah. I think it's protecting customer service, protecting patients if you're in the healthcare uh, industry, critically important to be able to have invested in advance to be successful. That is so true. I mean, the industry of supply chain has obviously recognized that this is an issue, but is there something systemic in the way the priorities of the past prevented leaders from really building supply chain resilience systemically? So you're touching on, I think, a dirty little secret within, <laughs> within supply chain, which is the, the, the fastest way to boost your cost performance is to stop investing in resilience. Well, as long as a crisis doesn't come along, nobody's going to really understand that you've done that. 
And it, it's very difficult, I think, for CEOs to be able yeah. to assess how their chief supply chain officers have made trade-offs and, and choices in, in that regard. And it does take investment in advance to develop that resilience and to develop that responsiveness to um, demand and supply shocks. You need to invest in customer and supplier relationships in advance because it's your extended network and the way yeah. that you leverage that that can get you through tough times. I think Toyota is a great example of someone that does that very well. You need to invest in targeted inventory and warehouses to be able to decouple the impact of shocks. But you also need to invest in your IT infrastructure. You need demand sensing, but also the ability to rapidly or respond. And certainly what we've seen during COVID with demand and supply shocks just every week changing very rapidly. The historic planning and the month-long cycles, they just don't work anymore. And something that gets me really excited about some of the digitization work I've seen is this creation of self-healing networks where you use artificial intelligence to be able to much more rapidly adapt and respond to demand and supply shock and to really allow you to focus your supply chain talent on more strategic issues. It, it strikes me that obviously there's a an important role that digital capabilities can play in this specific area. And it's not just in one narrow area, right? Clearly it is in planning, also in execution. One of the interesting things coming out of the recent crisis in chips for automobiles or even the container crisis is how bottlenecks in one of the silos or areas of the supply chain, maybe outside of your control, outside of your company, can essentially have a big impact on you know, the entire supply chain, whether it is IT communication networks or supply chain networks. The ability to stress test single point failures and to your point to build resiliency is an investment. So I can see that happening. As a proponent of resilience, have you seen some of the recent COVID crisis and sat down and, and mentally said to yourself, I could have told you this is going to happen? I, I feel strongly that way, certainly about the current container shortage. I, I think anyone paying attention would understand that there's a, a very tight supply and demand balance in shipping. And if you have an entire continent like China that's out of the picture for a period of time that you're going to get um, out of balance or if um, China is able to start up and the U.S. isn't able to uh, receive, you're going to get out of balance. And yeah, that those things take a very long time to work out of the system. That's not something that corrects in yes. three or four weeks. That takes months and months for rebalance or toilet, let's take toilet paper, right? And yes. the shift in channels yes. from industrial production toilet paper to home use uh, yeah. of toilet paper. And it's not yeah. like there was a shortage of toilet paper. There's just yeah. a shortage of manufacturing capacity that exactly. was flexible enough to make it. And so these are all, uh, in, in fairness to my industry, let me just say, sure. if you take a look at the past 10 to 15 years, most of the supply shocks were, they were local or regional in nature. They were natural disasters. Mm -hmm. um, they were port strikes. They, mm. So they were fairly contained and you can develop much better response plans for regional challenges. COVID is, is different because it, it's yeah. global, right? It's, it it's, is global. It's hitting yes. everybody. It's hitting yes. all yes. of your backup suppliers. It, it's yes. um, hitting all of your customers and your demand sources. And it would have been difficult to anticipate yes. and certainly yes. difficult to model out yes. the impact. So the people who have been successful, I think, through this crisis haven't been people who said, oh, let's plan for a global yeah. pandemic. They've been people yeah. who said, let's just very thoughtfully think about what resilience looks like from yes. end to end in our supply chain and be yeah. ready for yeah. just about anything that can come at us.
You've also mentioned that another passion area of yours is the digital mindset. Now, if you wouldn't mind, give us some examples within the supply chain areas where you found that mindset was so critical. So great, because I love to talk about this because typically when we're talking about digitization, we're only talking about the IT infrastructure. And and I think that's 40% of the battle to what digitization and supply chain unlocks is the ability to be able to take a look across the entire enterprise and Mm -hmm. optimize performance. But that only works if you've got leaders who are willing to look across the enterprise and optimize. And because for so long, we have had lots of data and the simplifying organizational assumption because we weren't able to actually harness that data was to work in silos. So Mm -hmm. that was much more efficient in terms of being able to master the information and the uh, the skill sets within your area and communications with other people. So we've developed a lot of leaders and organizations that are very siloed. Organizational performance has typically been one plus one plus one equals three. Each optimizes itself and the organization as a whole, the best it can do is operate as these silos have, have um, optimized. What digital transformation does though, is it it identifies the gaps between the silos. So mm-hmm. for example, what if spending more on raw materials lets you increase factory uptime? Yeah. Or what if allowing more factory overtime lets you get better customer service? And because organizational systems and, and routines and processes are built up from the silo basis, it's very yeah. difficult to find those, for us to be successful at digitization, we need to be focusing on developing leaders who can connect the dots across the enterprise. Certainly the CEO has to do that. Yeah. What the CEO needs to do is expect that his or her leadership team will optimize, help them optimize across yeah. um, the enterprise and be willing to make trade-offs based on the data and based on the opportunities to do that. Certainly, you know, whenever I get a chance to coach, I talk about coaching young managers a lot, but one of the things I talk about is the importance of early in your career, developing a broad base across different functions. You do spend some time in manufacturing and in purchasing or in sales and logistics, or just to be able to later in your career, have the ability to, to connect the dots, to learn that it's not all about one individual function. Yes. Get that experience and that perspective that's broad-based, not overly uh, specialized within a silo. Now, of course, that mindset is very important at senior levels in the organization, as, as, as you said. But to what extent do you think that at individual levels, if you're just running a machine on the floor or just planning for one category within one country, to what extent is that broad-based end-to-end optimization mindset uh, important? So I think even if you're running a machine on a factory floor, having that mindset, maybe you don't have the full understanding of all the different parts of Yeah, that's why I was asking. It's not a given that you'll have all the information, but it's a mindset. It's being able to say, we are all here. We are all here to achieve one objective. And that's to get our quality products to customers on time to be able to meet their needs. And if everyone has that mindset, then they're much more open to learning about the impact of their role on the broader enterprise. So if I'm on a factory line and I'm producing widgets, I might be much more attuned to the impact of the quality of the widget that I produce, customer satisfaction. And if the customer is satisfied, that will increase the demand for our product, which will increase the volume from 
my manufacturing line and it will improve my job satisfaction. And I think if people are willing to stop, learn and, and try and understand what's going on in other parts of the organization, they will certainly have that mindset. What digitization provides, I think, is the additional fact-based database, yeah, the yeah. insights yeah. So that people don't actually have to work in every single function to be able to understand how to optimize the business. It, it provides that visibility and, and, as you said, the data to be able to do that. Again, I, I think that's a really important insight because this is how we continue to build resilience within the enterprise and, and, and optimization, which is end-to-end. Again, to your earlier point about focusing on just you know siloed cost reduction versus more systemic cost reduction, or not just cost, but value creation and, 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 and building capability and capacity as well. You touched upon the importance of data in all of this, and we all know that data is important. But uh, thinking narrowly about supply chain, and again, based on your experience uh, of having worked in, in, in these specific companies, are there areas of the supply chain where data is becoming more critical? I am constantly amazed at how much data we have on our manufacturing operations, down to the mm-hmm. nanosecond, mm-hmm. what happened. And you can lose a container ship for, for a week before you find out where it is, because <laughs> yeah, that's the frequency. That's with the nature of, updates. exactly. Yeah. It's historically, we've measured what we could measure. Right? Yes. I see particularly in processes external to the enterprise. So working either with suppliers or with third-party logistics companies or with customers that we tend to really be very weak in terms of our visibility. And also internal the organization, there are large parts of the organization who are working in spreadsheets, who are, yeah. they're working on exception processes that, yeah. that aren't routinized. And everyone's doing it in a different way and no one can yeah. actually see what's going on in different parts and how that relates to each other. There's the value leakage is probably at least 20% right now because of the absence of of that visibility and insight. Did you have the opportunity to test that out? You mentioned international shipments or other parts of the supply chain. And is there anything you could share about that? So I have a couple of examples. Very early in my career, I had a formative experience when I was working for Frito-Lay, who's, they do the salty snacks for PepsiCo. And and Frito-Lay at that time had 10,000 route salespeople who were calling on 100,000 stores, bodegas, sea stores, grocery stores every day. So every day there were 100,000 touch points with customers. This is, again, last century, back in the 80s. And handheld computers were something very new. And Frito-Lay was one of the very early companies to deploy handheld computers to all of its sales force. And it felt like almost overnight, we had insights that we had never had before. So for example, new product launches, we could, because we now were collecting information on stocking and on um, product turns and product freshness, within five days of the new product launch, we could tell whether or not that new product was going to be successful. I mean, five days, which gave us time to react and change supply plans, demand generation plans, the positioning. And yeah, it was, it was transformational for us in terms of of our ability to deliver outstanding innovation in the category. Much later in my career, so my last role with J&J, we we began to shine a light on these international shipments that I was uh, talking about, air and ocean shipments. And and as you can imagine, a a container of J&J medical products, you know, if you delay that, that can have a significant impact on patient availability. And and by the way, those containers are worth a lot of money. So so you don't want to be losing them very often. Uh, when we began to implement visibility systems 
we could see how long shipments were taking and that variability was something that I was not personally very proud of, but that we were able to address very quickly. We were seeing significant variations across routes, across carriers, and even across our own internal warehouse operations. Mm -hmm. And by really focusing on that, we were able to drive um, significant uh, improvement, which allowed us to reduce the inventory investment that we had in those shipments by millions and millions of dollars and deliver significantly more reliability to the overall supply chain. It was just by having the data and focusing on using that data in a very structured way. Oh, wow. Great examples, by the way, different parts of the supply chain, but very compelling. And I think this is only continuing to get better and better. The availability of the data, the visibility is only the first step. And then you layer on top of that algorithms and the ability to plan and the ability to maybe even have algorithms make some of the more routine decisions. And then that's how you start to build an, an effective and efficient, and in many cases, best the goal, a resilient network. Those were really good examples. Well, hey, look, uh, uh, Catherine, there's so much we could talk about, given the breadth of your career and the insights that you have there to share. I'm trying to think of a good way to encapsulate your advice to people that may be at the beginning of your career. If you were to get it down to, here's a few things that you should keep in mind to aspiring Catherines in the future, what would you say? Here are a few things that I'd recommend, right? The, the, the yeah. leaders that we need for the future uh, are leaders that can think across the entire enterprise, who can lead diverse teams, mm -hmm. and who've spent the time to, to get that experience, who have broad backgrounds, who are willing to take risks in their careers. Because when you think about what you need as a senior leader in the organization, it's all of those things. And the earlier that you start working on that in your career, the, the better you're going to be able to display your talents for moving up in the organization. That is absolutely true. You know, nothing better than flexibility, learning ability, and fluidity, I guess, in, in many ways. Great advice. Well, thank you, Catherine. I have to say, this has been a real pleasure speaking with you and, and, and hearing your insights gathered across the world, across companies, and, and, and even across industries. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, Tony. Have a great day. And uh, to all of our listeners, as always, I really appreciate your company. To get information about new episodes, as always, subscribe to the podcast. And hey, if you enjoyed this, perhaps uh, you could consider sharing this podcast or telling a friend about it. But uh, in the meantime, I close with a usual reminder, don't just transform planning, reinvent it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.